Hallelujah. All right, well, let me, let me start by telling you a little joke, if I can remember it. Uh, <clears throat> these three men were out fishing, and the uh, angel of the Lord appeared there on the bank. And one of the men, he looked at the men, and one of the men had been suffering from terrible back pain for years. And he said, is there anything you can do? And the angel touched him and healed his back. He looked at the next guy, and he had very thick eyeglasses on. And he pleaded with the angel. He said, I, I would do anything if you could restore my vision. When the angel took his glasses and threw them into the water, his vision was perfectly restored. He looked over at the third man, and the third man gasped and jumped back, and he said, Stay away from me. I'm on disability. Man, I tell you, I could preach right there, folks. <laughs> I could preach right there, but I won't. <laughs> I won't meddle today. Amen. <laughs> Heavenly Father, thank you for this beautiful day that you've given us. Thank you for this place that we do have to come and worship you and uh, to fellowship together, your children. This little part of your body, we thank you for all of your love and grace and mercy. We thank you for the, the truth that you will share with us today. We thank you that it will go into plowed hearts, the ground of their hearts, and it will take root and bear fruit in their lives. Thank you that we be helped, healed everywhere we heard, empowered by your word, your promises, loved by you and prospered in every way, that we may go and help others with that same help we've received from you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 Jeremiah 33, 25 says, I have appointed the ordinances of heaven and earth. God set in place lots of spiritual laws to govern the earth and the heavens and principles that govern those laws just like we have principles for gravity and electricity and we have to learn to understand and cooperate with those things so that they benefit us and not harm us. Amen. Amen. It works the same way in the kingdom of God. And we've been talking about that some. We talked at length about the law of sowing and reaping. We talked about some of the other laws and I, I don't want to start mentioning them because I'll stop and preach on each one. And I I want to talk to you a little bit today about what we call the law of perseverance. Or you could call it the law of active pursuit. It simply says that your life will follow your focus. Amen or oh me. <laughs> this is a promise attached to our pursuit. God never give us an instruction or asks us to do anything or shows us how to do something without there being a good reason for it. And there's always a blessing attached to it. You're never going to outgive God, folks. Amen. Amen. Matthew 6.33, I've been mentioning every week because we've been talking about these kingdom principles and how Jesus ministered for 40 days after he was resurrected from the dead teaching them about the kingdom of God. Wouldn't you love to have been there? Well, praise God. 
Matthew 6.33, he said in the Sermon on the Mount, what is known as, Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. That's the Lord's righteousness that is given to us as a free gift, not something we can earn or be good enough to deserve. Amen. But seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added unto you. All the things that the world struggles and worries and strives for. He says, put me first. I already know you need all those things. Watch and see what I can do. Or try to do it in your own pride and your own strength, and I'll just sit back and watch and wait for you to call upon me and repent again and again and again. Matthew chapter 7, verses 7 and 8, I want to talk about how he said there are promises attached to our pursuit. And I want to expound on that a little bit, but Matthew 7, verses 7 and 8, Jesus said, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened for you. So ask, seek, knock, and there's a positive Response for each one. Because for everyone, raise your hand if that includes you. All right, you're, you're part of everyone. Everyone who asks receives. And one who seeks finds. And the one who knocks, it will be open. Wow, what a good God. Amen? Ephesians 3.20, and here's a key to all this. It says, now to him, that's Jesus, who is able to do far more abundantly than we can ask or think according to the power at work, where? In heaven? Within us. Within us. There's a partnership here. We have a part to play. Amen. He's a good God. He wants more for us. He wants to do more with us and through us than we could ever ask or imagine. But it's according to the power that dwells within you. Luke chapter 9, verses 57 through 62. And I'm, I'm just going to read this to you. This is a part of the Bible that referred to the cost of following Jesus. He says in verse 57, As they were going along the road, someone said to him, that's to Jesus, I will follow you wherever you go. Boy, I tell you, when I see people just jump out and say things like that, it makes me love Peter so much because he's usually the one that did things like that. It makes me feel so much better about myself. But we get into rash things. We say things rashly without considering the cost sometimes, don't we? These guys says, I'll follow you wherever you go. And Jesus said to him, foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests. But the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. To another, he said, follow me. But he said, Lord, let me first go and bury my father. And Jesus said to him, leave the dead to bury their own dead. But as for you, go and proclaim the kingdom of God. Yet another said, I'll follow you, Lord, but let me first say farewell to those at my home. Jesus said to him, no one 
who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for the kingdom of God. Tough talk. Huh? I want to recommend something to you folks because there's a, there's a promise attached to everything the Lord asked us to do. And I'm going to tell you this. Once you put your hands to the plow, you make up your mind to give your life in total surrender to the Lord. Don't look back. Don't look back. If you don't, you will you will achieve all that he has purposed for you to be and to do in this life. But I'll tell you this, and here's a little litmus test for you. In the kingdom of God, there's no static condition. You're either going forward or you're going backward. ministered a, a message I wrote years ago called The Fence Belongs to Me, the devil talking. That's for all the mealy mouth fence sitters, the man-pleasing spirit, sinner who straddle the fence and don't take sides for God or for the world. They're just the in-betweeners. And then they find out that the devil says, hey, the fence belongs to me. There are negative promises in the Bible concerning the slothful. And I don't want to get into that because we don't have any of those here. Amen. You wouldn't be here otherwise. There's some fancy churches down the road. You can get valet parking and nice coffee, child care, and some things that are wonderful, and I believe we will have someday. But right now, you must be here for the word. And I believe that the Lord is raising up a powerful group of disciples here and leaders, and uh, just hold on tight because he's got great things in store. I want to read something to you from Matthew chapter 17. I'll just start reading at the first verse, Matthew chapter 17. After six days, Jesus took with him Peter, James, and John. his brother, and led them up a high mountain by themselves, and he was transfigured before them. This is sort of like the time when Moses went up onto Mount Sinai, except this was the beginning of a new covenant, a better covenant with better promises. And folks, better is really better. And he was transfigured before them, and his face shone like the sun, and his clothes became white as light. And behold, there appeared to them Moses and Elijah talking with him. And Peter said to Jesus, Lord, it is good that we're here. If you wish, I'll make three tents here or tabernacles, one for you and one for Moses and one for Elijah. There goes Peter again. He was still speaking when behold, a bright cloud overshadowed them and a voice from the cloud 
said, basically interrupted Peter, and it was the father. He said, this is my beloved son with whom I'm well pleased. Listen to him. So before they had listened to Moses, now there comes a new instruction. Someone better and bigger than Moses has arrived. It's my beloved son. Listen to him. When the disciples heard this, they fell on their faces and were terrified. But Jesus came and touched them, saying, Rise and have no fear. And when they lifted up their eyes, they saw no one but Jesus only. And as they were coming down the mountain, wouldn't it have been so good just to stay up there on that mountain, Tom? Wow. How nice that must have been. They were coming down the mountain, and Jesus commanded them, Tell no one the vision until the Son of Man is raised from the dead. He told them this a lot of times. They just didn't get it. And the disciples asked him, Then why do the scribes say that first Elijah must come? He answered, Elijah does come, and he will restore all things. But I tell you that Elijah had, has already come, and they did not recognize him, but did to him whatever they pleased. So also the Son of Man will certainly suffer at their hands, then the disciples understood that he was speaking to them of John the Baptist. And when they had come, came to the crowd, a man came up to him and kneeling before him said, Lord, have mercy on my son, for he is an epileptic and he suffers terribly. For often he falls into the fire and often into the water. And I brought him to your disciples and they could not heal him. And Jesus answered, O oh, faithless and perverse generation, how long am I to be with you? How long am I to bear with you? Bring him here to me. And Jesus rebuked the demon, and it came out of him, and the boy was healed instantly. Then the disciples came to Jesus privately and said, Why could we not cast him out? He said to them, Because of your unbelief. For truly I say to you, if you have faith like a grain of mustard seed, you will say to this mountain, Move from here and it will go and nothing will be impossible for you. There's a lot in that story. But as I was reading through that yesterday, the Lord began to minister to me regarding that. As I was thinking how wonderful it must have been on that mountaintop with, with the Lord, hearing your Father's voice and fellowshipping there. You know, they didn't have a care in the world up there on that mountaintop with God. But then they had to go back down, didn't they? To the valley. And there they found lots of trouble. The Lord told me, he said, we can't build the kingdom from the mountaintop. Fruit doesn't grow on the mountaintop. It grows in the valley. There are no problems on the mountaintop. With God, everything is good. And sometimes we just want to retreat into the cleft of the rock under the shadow of the Almighty. And that's a great place to be. And we should all go there as often as we can. But you can't stay there. The salt's got to get out of the salt shaker, doesn't it? The possibilities with God 
and the ministry for you as ambassadors to a sick and dying world is in the valley. So how do we maintain our focus? You have to see Jesus. You have to focus on Jesus. Hebrews chapter 12, the first three verses of Hebrews chapter 12, says, Therefore, since we're surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight. Remember my message, if you were here when I was preaching for the conference for Africa, how I told them that I saw people with a big harness, like a weightlifter's belt and a big bag full of big boulders on their rocks, and they're full of rocks, and they were just offloading those weights. I saw that. That's what God showed me. He was doing during that time of ministry. It says, therefore, since we're surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. Looking to Jesus, the author and finisher, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising its shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. You have to run your race, the race that God has set out for you, and you have to keep your focus on Jesus, the author and finisher of your faith. Let me tell you something. This is a marathon, not a sprint. And if you stop, if you have a plan and you know it's God's plan, you know that you've heard God and you're running your race, if you stop to argue with the hecklers in the stands every time you go around the track, You're going to get passed up. It's going to hinder your race. That's just a little nugget for free. You can't have a man-pleasing spirit and a God-pleasing spirit simultaneously. If you get that vertical relationship straight, the horizontal one will take care of themselves. Amen. Keep your purpose as your priority in this line. Fight the good fight of faith, as Paul told Timothy. And always look forward to your goal and the prize of your calling, just like Paul told Timothy in 2 Timothy chapter 4, verses 7 and 8. Paul was coming to the end of his race, and he knew it. And wouldn't you say he fought a really good fight? the greatest grace preacher of all time. He said, I've fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Henceforth, there is laid up for me, here's the reward, the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day, and not only to me, but also to all. Raise your hand. All who have loved his appearing. Are you looking forward to 
seeing the Lord. Amen. I was at my gymnastics class the other day. Wait, no, that was my granddaughter's gymnastics class. <clears throat> Living vicariously through her as she climbs that rope to the top of the ceiling. Amen. I remember when most of our problems are from old habits instead of old age, folks. <laughs> I was reading while I was there. I was looking in the Bible and uh, in Zechariah in the Old Testament, one of the what they refer to as the minor prophets, but they're really all pretty major. Zechariah chapter 10. And uh, without going over there, although I want to, the Lord is, was saying some really cool things about restoring Zion. And... Uh, because we've been talking about fighting for the Lord and how he taught me. I, I wanted to fight. I wanted to fight for him. I wanted to fight the enemy. And he told me, first you have to kenose or empty out. You have to forget everything you think you know about fighting. Because <laughs> it's all wrong. Your battle is no longer against flesh and blood. And I have to teach you some new things. How to pray on your knees and fight from there. And uh, lots of other things. So, but... I've been talking about fighting for, for, for the Lord. And in Ze Zechariah, he began to show me how God is, is creating. You, you can look in chapter 10 and read through that, and you'll see some really, think, really cool things you can glean from that. But God is creating strong warriors, believers, for these last days. Warriors for Him who want to fight for the kingdom of God. A spiritual battle I'm talking about that we're in. The war is won, but there are still battles to fight. Amen, Romy. And these last days, he needs he needs some strong disciples, some strong believers and warriors who love him and who will run toward the deceptive roar of this liar and deceiver pretending to be a lion when he's just really a mouse with a megaphone. <laughs> this de great deceiver of men. And they'll run toward the roar and they'll trample on the snake and the scorpion. Satan's no match for the believer who has a revelation of God's love for him or her. God is calling you for the end times battles we will fight for him. With him. Remember that the Holy Spirit has been sent as the paraclete. The one who comes alongside us and takes a hold together with all of the obstacles and problems and situations and trials and circumstances of this life. So don't frustrate the grace of God by leaving it unnoticed or unused. Make your best effort to spend all of the grace He gives you for today, every day. Because there's only one day with the Lord and it's called today. That's all we're promised. We need to be exercising our faith. We talk about this a lot. Jesus, Jesus said something so profound and so heart-wrenching 
when I return, will I even find faith? I say yes. I say yes, sir, you will. Amen. Because it takes faith to live this Christian life. It's not for sissies. It takes faith to be humble. It takes faith to be kind. It's easy to be rude. It's hard to be kind sometimes, especially to those who are rude. But if I keep my eyes on Jesus, it makes it easier. When I see him hanging there, as we partake of communion today, I saw him hanging there on the cross for me in my stead with all of the punishment for all of the crimes I've committed against the Lord. And it's a little easier to be humble. It's a little easier to be kind. It's a little easier to forgive. You know, that's the only time that the disciples ever asked God to increase their faith is when Jesus said, when Peter was bragging again. Because the, <laughs> the law said they had to forgive their brother three times. He, Peter said, Lord, how often shall I forgive my brother who sins against me? Seven times? So Peter was bragging. He doubled it and added one. He thought he'd really impressed Jesus. He said, no, 777 times. In other words, when you get to that, come ask me again, and I'll probably <laughs> multiply it 100 more times over. And they said, Lord, increase our faith. <laughs> I see so many Christians walking around in unforgiveness and bitterness. It shouldn't be that way, folks. You see churches segregated right in their own midst. Families haven't spoken in years. Set up in different groups. Not here. Thank God. If I knew about it, I wouldn't allow it. Not for long. Try to help. Faith to be courageous. It's hard to be of good courage sometimes. I look at each of you. I know most of the trials, the struggles, the things you've been through. And I know I can hear in your voice sometimes when I'm talking to you. You're just tired. You get tired in the fight. You get battle weary. You start questioning some things. That's why you need other believers. That's why you need the family of God. That's why you need the word of God. The daily bread. Huh? That's why you need time spent with God. To recharge. We need faith to dream, folks. The evening of Thanksgiving in 2009, I was, my wife and I had just come back from my mother's house she was still living then and uh and i sat down in just a few minutes the lord gave me a song that i wrote called my lord jesus and uh and it starts out saying my lord jesus paid the price for me 
My Lord Jesus suffered on Calvary. My Lord Jesus saved me from sin and pain. Now, my Lord Jesus is teaching me to dream. And I had to... I had to admit that uh, I had to start learning to dream all over again. I needed courage for that. I needed to shake off all the guilt and condemnation and all the, all the ugly baggage from my past. And he helped me all the way, which he's faithful to do. <clears throat> do you have faith to dream? To believe? Let me ask you a question. What are you believing for? Have you seen the desires and dreams of God for you? He wants to give you the desires of your heart. But what that means is he wants to place his desires in your heart. He said, how can two walk together lest they be agreed? If you know what you're believing for and dreaming for. I thought about this last week. Somebody won a billion dollars. <laughs> in Illinois, I think. Yep. A billion, yeah, with a B. And I was, and I was like, boy, that would that'd be nice. And I heard the Lord say, Really? What would you do with it? What would you do if you got what you were believing for? Do you know? Have you thought about it? Have you seen it? Because that's a big part of it. You see, that's what Christian hope is. It's our positive, God-filled imagination. It gives us a dream. A goal, a godly one. And without it, our faith doesn't have a target. Does your faith have a target? Who do you think you are? <laughs> You've always heard that probably in a negative light. I didn't mean it like that. I seriously meant, who do you think you are? Because as a man thinketh in his heart, so is he. Isn't that what it says in Proverbs 23.7? I think that's it. What do you see when you look at yourself? How do you look at yourself? Well, in the natural, when we want to see what we look like, what do we do? We look in the mirror. That's right. The other day, my five-year-old granddaughter Harper was over and she said, she came straight up to me and she says, she turned. And in the hallway we have those accordion closet doors that have the mirrors on them. And I was standing there and she looked, she said, Papa, and she turned and looked in the mirror, this close. She says, I want to tell you about something. And she's just staring at herself in the mirror. I said, I thought you wanted to tell Papa something. She says, I am. I said, why are you looking at yourself? And she went, ha. Kids just love to look at themselves. 
But yeah, when we want to see what we look like, we, you know. I was running around this morning. My wife is getting ready for work, and she goes, come in here. Come in here in the sunlight in the bathroom. She sets me down there, and she gets out those little scissors. She starts doing all this, you know. Getting me all fixed up. Because I wasn't about to do all that. But she wasn't going to let me leave until she did. I love her. But, so that's how we see our natural self. But what about our soul? We, you know, in 1 Thessalonians 5.23, it says we're three-part beings, just like our Father. Just like our God. Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. We are spirit, soul, and body, aren't we? That's what it says in 1 Thessalonians 5.23. So in our soulish realm, that's our personality, our mind, our will, and emotions. If we want to do a checkup on our soul, we just we go to our feelings, don't we? Our emotions. How do I feel? What do I feel about that? How do I think about that? Am I happy? Am I sad? That's That's... We're very familiar with that part of ourselves. Matter of fact, the world, that's all they know. The body and the, and the soul. But there's, the, you're really a spirit. You're really a spirit. And how do you check up on that? To know your true identity, welcome, come in. To know your true identity, you have to look at yourself after the Spirit. And you cannot discern your spirit with your natural senses. Hello? So, Galatians 5, 17. Oh, I'll read the 16th verse starting because I like it. So I say, walk by the Spirit. That's capital S. That's the Holy Spirit. And you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the flesh craves what's contrary to the spirit. And the spirit what is contrary to the flesh. So they're at odds, folks. And if you can't discern the spirit, man, with your natural senses, and the part of you you can discern with your natural senses is not in agreement with God, what do you got to do? It says they're opposed to each other so that you do not do what you want. This is where that, that long rant at the end of Romans chapter 7, Paul said, I don't want to do what I want to do, and this gets <laughs> a little bit of a tongue twister there. That's what he's talking about. Then the eight, verse 18 says, But if you are led by the Spirit, that's capital S, you're not under the law. In other words, the law of sin and death. You're not going to do the things to satisfy the cravings of that, that flesh. John chapter 3, Jesus was talking to Nicodemus, one of the religious leaders of the Jews who came to him at night for fear of the Jews, and he said, we know who you are. We know you're of God. If he knew that, he should have came to him in the daytime. But he didn't. And Jesus told him, just listen, let me... Let me just cut to the chase. Unless you're born again, you're not going to see the kingdom of God. John 3.3. 3. But in that same verse, he tells him, 
because he, he was kind of sarcastic. But I, I don't know. I had to be there to hear the inflection of his voice. But he said, what, am I supposed to go back into my mother's womb? You know, he says, no. He says, flesh gives birth to flesh, but spirit gives birth to spirit. Right? That's why I say, if you knock on my, those Saturday morning door knockers, they cannot come to my door and produce a little Christian at that door. Because they can't give away what they don't have. And if you're knocking on my door talking about God and you don't call Jesus God, then quit, quit calling Him good. Amen. What great Christians they would make. So dedicated. So keep praying. And John, one chapter over, in John chapter 4, remember... He told the woman at the well that God is a spirit and those who worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. We're talking about our spiritual being here, folks. John 6, 33, Jesus said, my words are spirit, didn't he? My words are spirit and they are life. Can we look in James chapter 1? James chapter 1. James was the half-brother of Jesus. He was the head of the church in Jerusalem. And he, he has a powerful book. And the Bible is not very long, but it's power-packed. It's longer than his other brother, though, Jude. He got about a half a page in there. Powerful, too. James chapter 1. <clears throat> says, know this, the 19th verse, my beloved brothers, let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger, for the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Therefore, put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted word, the word of God, which is able to save your souls. But be doers of the word, and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he's like a man who looks intently into his natural face in a mirror. For he looks at himself and goes away and at once forgets what he was like. But the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, that's the word of God, and, per and perseveres. There's that law of perseverance or active pursuit. Being no hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in all his doing. Now there's a great promise, folks. He's talking about the mirror of God's word. And he says, when you look into this mirror, we're seeing a reflection because what he's talking about here is the genesis. In the Greek, he's talking about the genesis of a thing. So the, the reborn, you're looking, in, you're, you're looking intently into the mirror of your reborn man when you look into the Word of God. Oh, Holy Spirit, help them to see. So it's the reborn man, the not 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 from natural birth, but from spiritual birth, huh? 
the person that you have become. Back to what Greek God created in His image for you to be, which we fouled up in the Garden of Eden. Jesus came and got it back for us. Amen. Amen. This mirror shows what you look like when? In your past? No. Right now. Today. God is a God of the present. Amen. Amen. And when you're looking into the perfect mirror of God's love and His law and you're seeing the reflection of the genesis of the reborn person that you have become, this mirror is showing you not the past, not the sin, not your condemnation or guilt or rejection or sorrow. You're not living life in the rearview mirror. He's a God of today and He wants you to see who you are now. So that when I ask you next time, who do you think you are? You'll say, I am a blood-bought child of the Most High God. I walk in power and victory and authority over all the works of the devil. No weapon formed against me will ever prosper. God sent His Word and healed me. By Jesus' stripes, I am healed. It's God's will that I be in good health and prosper, even as my soul prospers. I'm an ambassador here into a sick and dying world. My home is in heaven. I'm seated at the right hand of God in Christ Jesus. And I'm here to do my Father's work. First Corinthians 5.17 says that we are ambassadors for Christ. Verse 16 says, From now on we regard no one according to the flesh. Although we once regarded Christ in this way, we do so no longer. What he's saying is once they walked for three and a half years, they walked with Jesus. They saw him as a man. And it was very hard. They didn't get it. They didn't really know what the Messiah was going to do. They thought he was going to take over any day and set up his kingdom and overthrow Rome, Roman rule and all that. They didn't really know what it meant. Even though he kept trying to tell them they weren't born again yet. They didn't understand. And it says those who don't have the Spirit of God don't even have the ability to understand the things of God. That's why we don't hate the world. We're trying to help them to get saved. That's why we need to go reproduce little Christians from the seed that we have within us. Because an apple tree produces apple, apple trees. You're a Christian tree. And you need to go reproduce Christians. Hallelujah. He said, well, we don't see him that way anymore. You know, when you see somebody get up out of the grave and ascend to heaven the way they did, you don't tend to look at them after the flesh any longer. They knew he was God, and that's how they... When you see him again, in other words, he's not going to be a suffering savior. He's going to be a conquering king. Oh, man, I was just reading Revelation the other day. And oh, man. Wow. Verse 17, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ... He is a new creation. Any of you in Christ? Anybody not born again? We could fix it right now. 
Get you saved, filled with the Holy Ghost. Walking in power and love, victory and authority. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. The old's passed away. Behold, the new has come. All things have become new, it says. All things. All this is from God who reconciled to him, us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. This says all things have become new. If you're in, you are a new creation in Christ, the old has passed away. Behold, all things have become new. And then you go look in that mirror and you go, no, they didn't. Huh? And then you, then you do the other part, the soulish realm, the personality, the mind, the will, and emotions. You check out and say, I still got some stinking thinking. It didn't work. I knew it. The grace of God can, can help all of them, but I knew, I knew I was too bad. I knew it wasn't going to work. I didn't feel anything. I saw them other people fall down on the ground. You know, the great T.L. Osborne, he preached and ministered and saw miracles and healings and people raised from the dead in over a hundred nations of the world. Very seldom did he ever see anyone fall down. Some people make that a part of their service every time. And if they don't fall down, they got catchers there. And I'm not making fun of anyone. Someone, <laughs> here's my, here's my, thing. I don't mind if you fall down, but when you get up, you better not be the same. And if God knocks you down, he's able to catch you and take care of you. <laughs> I've seen a lot of healing. Raise your hand if, if, if you've ever seen a, a healing under my watch. Okay, praise God. Well, God must be doing something. Even if I do irritate all the religious folks in the world. <laughs> Why? Because if Jesus said it, that settles it. I'm just foolish enough to believe what he said is true. But all things are new, folks. It's not on your, in your body. Now, it wasn't immediately anyway. It can be. It wasn't in your soulish realm, although that is being renewed as you're being transformed by the renewing of your mind. That metamorphosis is taking place like that caterpillar to the butterfly as you come into agreement with what? No. The spirit man. The word of God. My words are spirit. And now we have the Holy Spirit. So, along with the Holy Spirit and partnering with the Word of God, as we're coming into agreement, that spirit man is helping our soulish realm to be renewed and to be saved. Our spirit's already saved and sealed. Amen. I, I struggled with this. That's why you need to understand spirit, soul, and body. Because in your spirit, you are perfect and holy. One third of your salvation is done. Now your mind, your soulless realm is being renewed, restored. And you will be all the way up to the point where you transition until you see him face to face and then it will be completed. And then you'll get a new one of these, folks. Imperishable. And I think you'll be about 30. That's not in the Bible, so don't quote me. Don't make a doctrine out of it. 
<clears throat> but I, I struggled with this, and I needed to understand it. A day or two after our, my, my real salvation, not just when I called myself a Christian all my life, and I wasn't, but when I really got born again, and I had an encounter with the Lord, and I gave my heart to Him, and called upon the name of the Lord in sincerity, and He came, well, things weren't just still going so perfectly in my world. <laughs> and I was impatient. Well, like, what, what's going on? And I called the preacher over there, and he said, well, he was a old country, country guy, and he, he says, well, he goes, let me explain. He says, you know how, you ever had a skunk under your house? <laughs> I, I was like, I hadn't, but I, I had known some skunks, seen some skunks. I, you know, I got it. He said, you had a skunk under your house? And he goes, and then you go in there and you get it out. You kill it. You take it or whatever you do. You get it out and you haul it off. And it's gone. He said, that skunk is gone, but that, that odor might come back around from time to time for a little while. And it made perfect sense to me. And, and he said, in your born-again spirit, you are renewed. You are brand new. He goes, but your life is going to take a little time. you got to come into agreement. These are things he didn't share with me, but God began to give to me revelation of this. I've grown in my understanding of this. But I took that and I went to the Lord and I, I said, that makes sense to me for some reason. I get it. So it really did work. It's just not something I can discern with my natural senses. And I began, I meditated on that the whole next day at work. And then my wife and I, we went from our, where we were working, in our little, little office together there, to the grocery store when we left that day. And I walk in the grocery store, and she was ahead of me, and I grabbed a grocery basket. And I'm pushing that grocery basket, and through the grocery store, and the phone rings. And all this was just recent development. All this born-again experience and, and everything. And, and I hadn't even spoken to my mom or my stepfather in, in weeks, probably. Well, it's my stepfather on the phone. They were, they're both passed on now, but he was on the phone and he was laughing. He said, how you doing? How you doing? How you doing? I said, I'm fine, and I'm pushing this grocery basket. And he says, your mom wants to know how your skunk is doing. <laughs> and I stopped in my tracks, got this basket, and I said, excuse me? He says, ha, your mom had a dream last night, and you were a little boy, and you were pushing a grocery basket, and you had a skunk in there. And she wants to know how your skunk is doing. Ha, 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 ha. And I said, tell her that skunk is dead and gone. And he went, huh? No, you don't understand. Your mom, she had, I said, I understand. I heard you perfectly. And you tell her that skunk is dead and gone in Jesus' name. Uh, I'll talk to you later. 
But man, I was so touched by that. That God would reach down into my life and with the basic elements of understanding that I had, knowing that I was seeking Him. I was, I was asking. I was seeking. I was knocking. And to get me an answer like that, that was, I didn't even understand all that it meant, but I knew that God was with me. I knew that God had saved me. I knew I was born again and that everything was okay because the, the King of kings and Lord of lords was with me and was for me and that also he was fun and funny. And I liked all that. Amen. He's that kind of God. You're a new creation. All your sin was paid for by the blood of Jesus. You need to see yourself. When I ask you, how do you see yourself? You need to see yourself not as somebody that got fixed up and patched up. That's not what happened. All your sin was paid for. It was removed and gone. The punishment for it was taken. You didn't get a fresh start. You, you didn't get patched up. You, you didn't get repaired and sent back on your way. No, you died with Christ on that cross and you were born again to a new eternal life in Him. Free from all the guilt and shame and condemnation and judgment that was due you. Because He took it. He paid for it. Jesus bore it all. You have a fresh, brand new life. 1 John 4.17 says we're identical to Him now. And we have to realize His love toward us. says verse 16, and, and we have come to know and believe. This is important. To know and believe. You can know something. You can have mental assent. You can have an understanding with your head. But it needs to get into your heart. It says, we have known and believed the love that God has for us. God is love. Whoever abides in love abides in God and God in Him. In this way, love has been perfected amongst us so that we may have confidence on the day of judgment for in this world we are just like Him. You know, you're just like Jesus in your born-again spirit. Who are you? You're a spirit with a soul in a body. That spirit, man, is just like Jesus. There's no fear in love, but perfect love drives out fear because fear involves punishment. The one who fears has not been perfected in love. In other words, you haven't been perfected. You haven't had a revelation of His love for you. Because if you did, you'd understand that there's nothing to fear. John 14, 27, he said, Peace I give to you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give unto you. Let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. There's your part. So if it's afraid, then you don't have a real understanding of his love for you. And I'm telling you, you're going to need it you got to press in. you got to ask, seek, and knock until all those doors are open and all those answers come until you find Him and you find His love for you because that's what's going to keep you on course. That's what's going to help you to persevere 
in these end times. In Him you have all things. Colossians 2.10 says you are complete in Him. You are alive in Christ. Verse 9 says, For in Christ all the fullness of the deity dwells in bodily form. So, so Jesus is God, and you have been made complete in Christ, who is the head over every ruler and authority. In Him you were also circumcised in your heart in the putting off of your sinful nature. You, are not, you do not have a dual nature. That sin nature was cast out. That spawn of Satan, that seed of Satan, that nature, that fallen nature was evicted with the circumcision performed by Christ and not by human hands. You see? In Him you have all things. You're lacking nothing for this life, the Bible says. The grace of God is the power of God to live and to be and to do all that He has planned for you to be and to do. If you can believe. Ephesians 1.3 says, well, let me just read it to you. I'm running out of time. But I just want to finish up with this real quick. Ephesians 1.3 Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us, past tense, it's done, in Christ with every spiritual blessing in heavenly places. Does that mean it's in heaven? No. The kingdom of God is in you. All things. Look at 1 Peter, a couple of pages over. First Peter or 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 3. By one or two, two or three witnesses, we'll, we'll establish every truth, right? 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 3. His divine power has granted, has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness. That's this life and godliness through the knowledge of Him who called us to our own, to his own glory and excellence. Psalm 23. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. I shall not lack for anything. He maketh me to lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside the still waters. He restores my soul. Sometimes we just need to recharge, don't we? We need a reboot. We need to restore our souls. And that's who does it. We need to plug our soul into our spirit. Which already has the mind of Christ. And be restored. Amen. Amen. You're his masterpiece folks. That's who you are. That's what it says in Ephesians chapter 2. I won't go there. That word is, he says you're his workmanship. It's the same word, it's metanoia. It's, a, it's the Greek word for masterpiece. You're God's masterpiece. Ephesians chapter 4 verse 24 says you are righteous and holy. You are created, born again, righteous and holy. 2 Corinthians 5.21 
says that you, that Jesus, that God made him who knew no sin to become sin for us, that you might become the righteousness of God. You are the righteousness of God in Christ. This is who the new man is, folks. Our reborn man is righteous and holy. And this is not a righteousness that is obtained through spiritual maturity or doing good. It's who we are. In right standing with God. Righteousness is our right standing with God. It's what allows us to run boldly right into the throne room of grace that we may obtain mercy and find favor in the time of need. Just like a good marriage. You know? I've been hearing so many stories lately about Christians. This, this, this guy came recently and he's, he's maybe someone looking through the window of the church, you know, tipping his toe. He, he stayed away because his wife is there every time the doors are open, he says. Always in church. Would never miss. Caught her cheating on him six times already. And then the other day she come in and told him she wants a divorce. You think he's excited about joining the local church? That's not what a marriage should be. I see some couples I would love to just have come up here and talk to folks about what marriage is, really is, and what it should be. You know, my wife, I'm busy a lot of times. I'm just up to here with it. Every day I wake up and decide which stack to attack. And sometimes I need time to myself. I need quiet. But you know, my wife, no matter how busy I am, she can walk right in there sit right on my lap and say, Honey, i got to talk to you about something. Okay. What is it? And she doesn't have any doubt that if I can, I'm going to do whatever it is that she wants. And no matter what it is, she can trust me, she can talk to me, she can interrupt me. I will tell anyone, anytime, hold on. I've been on Zoom meetings, you know, and her or Harper, my little granddaughter, they, it's okay. They have that. They have that access. That's how good marriage should be. That's how it is between us. That's why the devil hates marriage because it's a picture of Christ in the church. And so he wants to corrupt it and make it unnecessary and ugly and muddy the waters on what it's really all about. But it should be a beautiful thing, full of trust and, and access and confidence. That's what we have with God. That's who He is. He loves you. You're His masterpiece. When he looks at you, he sees pure gold. He sees Jesus. He either sees Adam or he sees Jesus. 
And I think everybody here today has been born again. Am I right? Praise God. Well, I'm going to let you go because I'm about halfway done. (laughs) So we'll just stop and start again as always. Amen. Amen. Heavenly Father, thank you for this beautiful day. Thank you for your precious word, the manna from heaven. Thank you that you have helped us today. You've begun to heal us everywhere we hurt. Empower us through your truth and your promises. Teaching us who we really are in you and what we really have. Thank you for loving us and giving us a greater revelation of the love that you have for us. So that we can go and love others out of the overflow. We can't give away what we don't have. And you're the source of all true love. So thank you, Lord. And thank you for prospering us in every way. Spirit, soul, and body. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Praise God. All right. Glory to God. We're going to finish up with uh, another praise and worship song. And and I'll be here for any of you who need prayer. Amen. Amen. God bless you all. I speak a blessing of courage and peace and faith and love and protection over each one of you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amazing grace.